Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Hello, hello. Welcome to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Vertelny. Joining me today is Goals women's soccer correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. No lack of sleep for you today. Yes, in certain ways, I'm happy the Olympics are over, back to a normal sleep schedule. Also joining us back on the show today is former U.S. Women's National Team goalkeeper, Hope Solo. Hope, welcome back. How's it going today? Hey, doing good. Thanks for having me, Seth. On today's show... We are going to put a bow on the Olympics, wrap up our discussion of the tournament in Japan. The U.S. takes bronze, Sweden, silver, Canada, gold. And then I think the bulk of the show today will be spent throwing it forward, uh, looking ahead over the next two years as we move towards Australia, New Zealand, 2023. We have a two-year gap after the Olympics, where we normally have three. So in a certain sense, the clock is already ticking. We're already thinking about the next tournament. So we need to talk about how the U.S. is going to move forward through the next couple of years, which players are coming in, which players are going out. Is Vlaco going to stay? What the U.S. needs to change to make sure that they win a third consecutive World Cup in two years' time. Before that, though, I want to take a little bit of time and wrap up the Olympics. I want to start with you, Hope. Now that it's been about a week, I am wondering if you have had a chance to speak to any former teammates And if you have any kind of an idea of of what the mood has been like around the team since the Olympics ended. Yeah, I've reached out to a couple of the players via text. You know, I I always tend to speak to them more during world championships, (laughs) whether it's good or bad. Um, You know, I I think a lot of a lot of players like to, you know, reach out to those who have been through it. So yeah, I've, I've been there for a few of my teammates, you know, through through the highs and the lows of the tournament. And I can tell you, it was pretty low. It was pretty low um, once they realized they weren't going to be in the gold medal match. It was it was a very sad time for them. I think a sense of shock. Um, also a sense, looking back, maybe not so much of a shock for a number of reasons that are internal amongst the team. So I think, you know, when you when you really look into the mirror, yeah, it might be shocking at first, but you realize that there are, seeing, there are things that needed to change and should have been different. Um, so I think, I think a lot of players went through kind of a reckoning within themselves and amongst the team. And then after that final battle against Australia for that bronze, there was, I almost got the chills right now talking about it because they went from a very, very low moment to having already, and we talked about this, Amy, already having a sense of pride in that bronze medal because it was a hard fought match and because that team 
you know, they hit an all-time low and they were able to kind of scrape their way back and get that bronze medal. So I always thought they'd have that sense of pride in that bronze medal in the days to come, the weeks or the months to come. But really right after the game, there was a huge change in the morale of the team for having that, that bronze medal. And, and I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them for scraping their way back and earning that medal because we all know it wasn't an easy game. You know, I don't think any of the games uh, during this Olympics was easy for them. So they fought and they got their bronze and they should be very proud. And then they're gonna have to look in the next two years, they're gonna have to look really internally to see what went wrong and they're going to have to come back on top for that 2023 World Cup. Yeah, I wonder if now that we've had a little bit of time to reflect on this tournament, if there is any chance that either of you view this tournament differently. I think that in the heat of the moment, we have been talking about this tournament in a very negative light. And that's understandable. This team came in as the overwhelming favorites to win gold. And they did not accomplish their goal. But I'm wondering if when you view this tournament as a whole and you consider that they won a medal, when you consider that they got to the knockout stage, they got past a very tough Netherlands team, they played Canada in a really tight game that was decided by a a pretty unfortunate penalty call. Do either of you view this tournament a little differently, maybe not as a full-scale success, but also not an unqualified failure. I think you can, in hindsight, because you see where certain teams finish. So, like, when Sweden came into the tournament, yes, we sort of earmarked them out as a problem team for the US, but, you know, they did surprise a lot of people at how good they were, because, yes, they've got lots of talent, but we didn't know they were going to be able to put it all together as well as they did, and they ended up, obviously, going all the way to the final, and were very unlucky not to win gold in the end. And then, obviously, the Canada team, the US lost to, ended up winning gold. And we have that saying, I don't know if you do it over there in the US, but in England, if a team knocks you out of the tournament, you're like, oh, I want that team to win the tournament now because now we lost to the the winner. And um, that makes us seem not so bad. Australia as well. I think a lot of people wrote off Australia. Um, So the fact that they ended up going on and being as good as they were the fact that they troubled the US at times probably doesn't come off as bad. But obviously the the way that the US should have played, they should have played better than they did with the players they had available, I think. But I still think that, yeah, you can view it a little bit better in hindsight. And once the gold medal is there, then it's it's not so bad, I think, as well. It's something to build on, basically. And you always learn more from your failures than your success, right? Absolutely. Well said, Amy. I, You know, I... I... I can't help but say, though, that this is probably one of the most talented U.S. teams that we will ever see. So to have this much talent on one side and not win the gold medal when that's a part of our rich history, you know, it can. It can absolutely be seen as a failure, but it has to be turned around. We have to, you know, recognize the problem, see what went wrong and fix them in in a fast two years. And I think that's the exciting part is that. These players want to fix the problems and they want to get back on the main stage and they want to prove themselves that they are the best players in the world and the best team in the world. And that's pretty exciting to be able to do that in, in two quick years. But yes, I, I, think, I think it is a failure for the American side at the end of the day because we expect gold always in every tournament. That's the culture of the U.S. Women's National Team and that should never change. I think what's going to be interesting as well is going to see how Vlatko responds because we know how talented a coach he is this is going to be his biggest challenge. And to see how his mind and how his staff 
work and try and fix the problems is a really intriguing thing and it's an exciting thing because we are used to seeing as a neutral it's an exciting thing because we are used to seeing the US constantly on top so when things don't go to plan it is intriguing and exciting to see how they try and solve problems I am looking forward to that but we've been on top with less quality of players that's what's crazy I mean this team is by far the most talented of any team that I've ever I've ever witnessed that's the hard part now they have to play together though that might be the hard part for Vlako. Yeah, it definitely was uh, a tournament that that fell a little bit short of expectations. The the bronze medal helped. I wanted to quickly touch on something that happened in the aftermath of that bronze medal game, and that was a statement that was released by the former president. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but it includes some choice phrases such as leftist maniacs and wokesters. I don't want to particularly get too into the weeds on on what the the former president said but i am curious hope on the response that you've seen to this team's activism in the last few years and how that has maybe evolved over time since you were playing and maybe even since before you were playing you know this team has always been outspoken they've always been unafraid to stand up for issues that they've believed in but does it seem to you like the opposition to them and what they stand for has been growing louder in recent years. Yeah, I think the rhetoric surrounding this team has been both divisive and inclusive. Um, I guess it, it it's kind of where we are in politics in this day and age. You know, the most important thing for this team is that they stand up for what's federal law here in the United States. Federal law in the United States stands for the Equal Pay Act since 1962 during John F. Kennedy days, and we still don't have equal pay here in the United States. So for me, that's something that, that shouldn't be divisive. You know, we're um, fighting for something that's been policy for over 60 years. And I think that's a very positive thing. You know, I think, I think uh, right now what I've seen is there's been so much debate about the kneeling and the not kneeling. I know most people stand against discrimination. Um, I know most people that I speak to, and I live in the South. I live in a very conservative area here in North Carolina in the South. Obviously, I have friends on both sides of the aisle, but I think the kneeling thing can can be very divisive. Um, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that there's no national anthem right before the game to, to to really remove that decision from athletes because that's that's very tough. It's tough. Um, I've seen Megan Rapinoe almost bully players into kneeling because she she really wants to stand up for something in her particular way, but it's our right as Americans to do it. Um, you know, in whatever way we're comfortable with. And I think that's really hard being on the main stage right now with so many political issues for athletes. There's a lot of pressure. And ultimately, at the end of the day, our number one focus should and has always been to win first. And unfortunately, a lot of those, um, you know, we're, we're carrying the world on our back these days. A lot of the athletes are. You look at what LeBron James is doing, and he feels like he's carrying the world on his back for youth here in the United States. So it, there's a lot of outside pressures um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think I think we have to remember that we're standing for what's federal law here in the United States. And that's the most important thing. We will take a quick break there. And when we come back, we are going to throw it forward a little bit and talk about what is to come for the U.S. over the next two years. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. 
Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on goal. All right, welcome back to all of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. Before we get into what the next two years is going to look like for the U.S. Women's National Team, Hope, I wanted to get your take on a story that was developing throughout the Olympics, kind of outside of soccer. That was the focus on the mental health of athletes. And of course, the big driving force behind this story's relevance was Simone Biles, who decided to pull out of most of the gymnastics competition to protect her mental health and also her physical health as well because of her head wasn't in it. As a gymnast, you can really uh, put yourself in danger. I'm wondering if you have seen the shift on athletes' mental health change in recent years and what you've made of of the recent prevalence of, of that discussion in the world of sports. You know, I actually recall the exact time and place and year where mental health started to become an everyday question in the mix zone where it actually became a talking point for athletes in the United States. And not just athletes. I mean, you heard it, started to hear about mental health issues everywhere. Um, so I, I do remember the shift, but that doesn't mean anything ever has ever changed. Athletes have always dealt with pressure. Athletes have always dealt with a number of different issues, whether it's fitness and eating disorders, concussions, um, trying to play at the, at the highest stage when you've lost a loved one. For instance, there's a number of issues that many of us go through. Um, you know, everybody goes through tough times in life, but then to deal with it when you're supposed to be at your best in front of an audience on TV, it comes with a lot of pressure and it comes with a lot of ups and downs. And, and it's sometimes really hard to keep that happy face on for the cameras. And that's what a lot of athletes are expected to do, like Simone Biles. You know, she's America's sweetheart. And she went out there and she said, you know what? I, I don't have it today. And that takes that takes a lot of lot of strength, and it also takes a lot of strength to when you're not feeling good, find a way to push through your routine or or get through the game. So, yeah, man, everybody has to deal with it differently. Not every person is the exact same. Um, you know, I lost my father going to my first World Cup, and my way through healing and emotional pain was to play for him. That was my way of, of getting through his death. And each athlete is very different. But to see the discussions now um, and kind of the recognition of what these athletes are giving us for entertainment back home as we watch TV, we should all be applauding them, whether it's a good performance or a bad performance, because we have no idea the pressures that they're going through. We talked about the meaning of different medals, different color medals. Imagine the meaning of that bronze medal that Simone Biles picked up. Like we talked about all the different circumstances and how they all mean different things. That was one of the best stories of the whole Olympics, the fact that she sort of came back and, and was able to get a medal. That was, yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Hope, do you think that the 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 discussion has, has improved? Have, have we gotten to a better place when talking about athletes' mental health than we were maybe five, ten years ago? Oh, of course. People are aware of the struggles and the pressures that athletes go through at the high stage. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think we have a long ways to go in terms of at actually understanding it. You know, we, we used to have doctors pass out Xanax like it was nothing. It was just part of the routine while we were overseas in China for the World Cup. Doctors knocking on your door, 
passing out anything to help you get to sleep because of the nerves or because of the stress or because of the pressure. I mean, these are normal days affairs when it comes to Olympians. So I don't think people have quite a clear understanding, but again, we've been discussing this now for about five years and we have a ways to go, but there is acknowledgement and that's a start. Definitely. So I want to shift gears now to the next couple of years for the U.S. Women's National Team. Looking ahead, more short term, we have a couple of friendlies in September and a couple of friendlies in October. But the rosters for those four friendlies will be comprised mainly of the Olympic players. It's a part of their agreement with U.S. soccer. So we actually aren't going to see a transition in terms of new players being brought in until November at the earliest. But before we talk about some of those new players, I want to talk about some of the veterans and and what we see in the future for them. I think we need to start with Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapinoe, and Becky Sauerbrunn, because those were the three oldest players on this team. It seems the most likely that we will not see them moving forward in the next cycle. So I wanted to get both of your your takes on on these three players. Do you think that all three of them are out of the picture when we talk about the 2023 World Cup and the 2024 Olympics? Or do you see any of them still being involved in the next two or three years? Carly Lloyd talked a little bit about it after the game and she seemed a little bit more, I guess, open to sort of like, you know, this is towards the end of my career, that sort of thing. Whereas Rapino's comments were more, you know, I don't want Sue Bird going on holiday while I'm still playing football. So I think Rapino sort of talked a bit more about the next World Cup a little bit more. I know that obviously you don't think about that while you're at an Olympics, but seemed a little bit more open in that sense. Obviously, we've not heard from Becky Salbron. Um I think Becky Serban's the most irreplaceable of the three in terms of their, the sort of what she brings to her role. Um, we talked about how many, there are so many talented young attacking players. Like, I don't know if there is that centre-back leader to replace Becky Serban right now. That's how I'm kind of thinking about her at the moment, I think. Yeah, I think I'm going to give Carly her credit. She's a beast at 39, and if she wanted to go, man, I, I would I would bank on it. From a physical standpoint, I should say. But from an emotional um, and a mental standpoint, I think she's done. I think we have seen Carly Lloyd play her last World Championship game. I think in terms of Becky Sauerbrunn, I agree, Amy. I think she's um, irreplaceable, really. It's going to be really hard to find somebody who's consistent in the defense, um, who can just lock it down, who does her job, you know, day in and day out, consistent. I mean, Becky's going to be really hard, really hard to replace. But I, I think, I, I know she can go two more years. But again, you know, these, these women have personal lives. And I know a lot of them want to move on with the personal aspects of their lives, which is really hard to do as a professional athlete. In terms of Megan Rapinoe, I think Megan actually is the least able physically to go. I mean, she's had knee issues, you know, she has muscle strains from time to time. I, I think it's, you know, from a physical standpoint, it'd be really hard for Megan, but I know that she, I shouldn't say I know, but I would put my money on her continuing to try to make that World Cup team in two years. Yeah, just below those three, you get a group of players that it's a little bit more difficult to read in terms of what their futures are going to be like. 
I'm talking about Alyssa Nair, Kelly O'Hara, Tobin Heath. They're all 33. Alex Morgan and Kristen Press are 32. Clearly, we have seen that players can not only play into their mid-30s with this team, but thrive into their mid-30s and even into their late-30s. So you wouldn't bet against any of them being at the next World Cup. But then there's also the question of, of performance. You know, although all of them have been pretty strong performers for the U.S. over the course of the last few years, I would say none of them had very strong Olympics. And I would also say, and we'll get into this in a future discussion, I would say that there's a lot of really talented young attacking players kind of knocking on the door. So the way that that, that I'm looking at some of these players, particularly a Heath or a Press or a Morgan, is not that their spots are immediately in danger, but I think that the clock is ticking a little bit now where Vlatko is going to need to see them really turn around their form and really start to put together the kind of performances that we've been used to seeing from them, or else he might have to turn to some younger options. Well, I think that the clock is always ticking when it comes to playing on, uh, well, probably any professional athlete, but especially with the caliber of players that the U.S. Women's National Team has and uh, the huge number of players that we can choose from in the NWSL and um, even our youth players. So, the clock is always ticking, and that is something that even the veteran players are very aware of. Um, they're also going to be very aware that they didn't show up to perform in this Olympics. But, um, you know, Tobin Heath is still probably the most skilled forward that team has. Press is still one of the fastest forwards that team has. So to replace them in two years, I think, would be really tough. Um, and Tobin, for instance, has proven on the big stage that she can and will perform. Maybe not this Olympics, but she's done it in the past. Yeah, definitely. We will take our second break. And when we come back, we will talk about some of the young up-and-coming talents that we might see on the U.S. Women's National Team in the near future. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All right, welcome back to all of us. We have talked about some of the veteran players, but I think that the national team fan base, especially after a tournament like the Olympics where the U.S. fell short, is going to be hungry to see some of the next generation start to get a chance. Uh, I mentioned in the last segment that there are a number of exciting young attacking players that are making their way. Some of them have already been with the U.S. national team here and there. Some of them are still waiting to make their debut. I'm curious, which players do you two have kind of circled as talents to really watch moving forward and players that could potentially make the World Cup roster in two years and even start and replace some of these veterans that we've talked about. I really want to see Mitch Purse get her go. Um, I thought it was quite harsh that she didn't make the cut this time. I'd have loved to have seen her at the Olympics. I thought she's played well when she's played for the US in a, in a defensive position. She's obviously doing so well in the NWSL. 
in a forward position. So yeah, I thought that was tough not to see her, and I hope that she really does come in and like you know gets a proper shot and a proper go and is it a key player going forward? And then I think the the other ones, I mean, the they're the standouts, aren't they? The Mal Pugh's been in great form. Um, you know, Sanchez, uh, Sophia Smith, um, Trinity Rodman is obviously the one that everybody is so excited about. I just hope that her development and her progression into the team is managed in a really good way and that she's got so much spotlight on her and she's so young. I hope that she isn't just kind of like thrown in and, do you know, you know, I hope she is like brought into the team and, and nurtured into the role and the pressure and the stage really well because you hate to see that when a young player is kind of like given all this massive pressure of you are the future of the national team, you will bring home the World Cup. Like you don't want to see that, but I think that she's obviously got all the talent in the world. Yeah, there, there are a lot of youth players to choose from, um, players that could have made this Olympic squad. Um, who, like you said, I mean, it's really surprising they didn't. I think this Olympic squad, you know, from a defensive standpoint, was looking to have more defensive players than players um, who, are, who are better on the attack moving forward. And I think Blacko's going to have to really look at that because I think, obviously, the U.S. team plays better when they're pressing and when they have the ball and they're moving forward. So that's something that he's going to have to ask himself. Um, but I'm really excited for, for Trina Davidson. I mean, she's already proven herself this Olympics. Um, she's already been through um, a roller coaster of emotions on a team standpoint and a personal standpoint by giving up the penalty kick. Um, so right off the bat, that gives you so much experience moving forward for such a young defender. She's going to have that for the rest of her career, and I think we're going to see her um, be the starting central defender for a long time to come. And I hope we do because I'm really inspired by Davidson. I like her style of play. She's a smart defender. She's a team player. She's always covering um, spaces as well as individual one-on-one -on -one players. So she's, she's a player that I would have loved to have played behind because, um, yeah, you, you can tell that she, she does it for the team. Um, and that, that's a defender you want to see. So I'm happy to see her moving forward. Obviously, Macario is so talented. So... Um, yeah, Vlako has a lot of decisions to make in a short amount of time moving forward. And like you said, Amy, um, yeah, you don't want to see a ton of pressure be put on these kids. You want to see them slowly be brought into the team. But at the same point, you don't want it to be too slow. We need to get these players some experience. We need to get these players experience against great teams, not just uh, our CONCACAF teams. We need to give them experience against the Japans, the Frances, the Swedens. That's where we really need to see some of these youth players shine so that we know they can do it in the biggest moment on the biggest stage. And a lot of times in these next two years, the friendlies aren't necessarily going to be the toughest matches. And hopefully um, the U.S. soccer programming can schedule some tougher opponents going into the next World Cup. Yeah, one thing about Trinity Rodman is that even going to end up to the NWSL this year was kind of seen as throwing her in the deep end. You know, she was drafted when she was 18 and she skipped college altogether. So there was a real question as to whether she was going to be able to make the jump up to the NWSL level this year. And not only has she made that jump up, but she's been one of the best attacking players in the league this year at now 19 years old. And so that does bode well for her potentially making that next jump up to the national team. But Amy, I wanted to, to bring it back to... Midge Purse, uh, because I think what Vlatko decides to do with her 
and Crystal Dunn moving forward is going to be a really intriguing storyline to watch. You know, both of these players are natural attackers who have been played mostly as outside backs with the U.S. And in in some sense, it's made sense because the U.S. has been pretty deep at forward, not as deep at outside back. But I think there's no question that both of these players are more effective as attackers. And what Vlaco does with them is going to determine the team's depth up top as well as in the back. So I'm wondering what you two think the future of Crystal Dunn and Midge Purse looks like with the national team. I I hope that he just goes, do you know what, Crystal? You've paid your dues. You've been in that defense for far too long. I hate it because Crystal Dunn for me is one of the best players in the entire world. And I hate sort of like, do you know, like the Sweden game where it was, she was, you know, being targeted down that left-hand side. And it's so sad because you're like, no, because you should be further at the pitch. This shouldn't be like, you know, you shouldn't be being targeted by other attackers. Um, I'd love to see him play her like further forward, either in a front three or in midfield where she's done so well in the NWSL. Um, and I think there is a lesson to be learned from that for like Midge Purse because like clearly this summer there were teams that targeted Crystal Dunn because she wasn't a, a defender. And if you are you really going to put in Purse into a defensive role that isn't her role and we talked about this in a previous episode the demand of switching those two positions from national team to club and how demanding that is um and yeah I hope I hope Purse plays a little bit more attacking I imagine that the experience of playing in defense is obviously good as a forward to then track back and and so on but yeah I hope these players get to play in roles that they are that they thrive in so much more yeah, that's that's a great point because actually under Vlaco in the the team's friendlies leading up to the Olympics, you saw Dunn playing almost as a fourth midfielder and she would get inside more than she did under Jill Ellis. You know, under Ellis, she definitely got forward, but she kind of stuck to those flanks and and Vlaco gave her a lot of freedom to not only get forward but but cut inside, but at the Olympics it was a completely different story and she was forced to do way more defending than, than she felt comfortable with clearly. Yeah. And like I say, it's, it's one of them things that like, you know, for me as a, as a neutral, not supporting the U S who just thinks that Crystal Dunn is absolutely brilliant. And it's, you can see that everybody's kind of watching this game and, you know, maybe somebody's never watched Crystal Dunn before. I mean, it's like, who is this? And she's not very good. It's like, no, she's one of the best players in the world. This is just not fair on her. So yeah, I think I think you're right. Like, obviously that that sort of um the different sort of game she was playing in. But I think that it would be great that these players are played in, you know, their best roles. Cause I think it it does set sort of like a you don't really want to be putting these fantastic creative, expressive players that are forwards into a full back, a full back role. You know, you want to kind of have your full backs, and the way that full backs are made nowadays in the attacking game, and that how much they get forward, and how brilliant they are. Like, there's, you know, it's not like where the full back is such a rubbish position, and you're trying to improve it by putting forwards in. The the games come on so much more. Yeah, definitely. And I want to wrap up on kind of a big existential question. I think we saw the U.S. just dominate moving into these Olympics. Uh, they didn't lose in two and a half years, and there there really wasn't a lot to suggest that the Olympics that we saw take place was going to happen. 
Um, with that in mind, do you see this tournament as just kind of a blip that can be explained by a number of factors, whether it was the heat and the humidity, the, the games being close together, no fans, uh, tough opposition, whatever the case may be, you know, was this tournament just a blip? And do you expect the U.S. to return to their position as the clear-cut number one team in the world over the next couple of years? Or was this tournament a sign of some bigger systemic issues at play and this is something that we should expect to see more moving forward where the U.S. is no longer the dominant force and are going to have to fight and scratch and claw for everything at these these big competitions that is a major question isn't it Seth (laughs) and on something light so layered so layered yeah (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you though um every world championship every olympics every world cup is fought and scratched for every step of the way it takes everything going right to to win a tournament even if you have the number one you know on your back or the target on your back and you're the number one seed you still have to get the job done and it comes with a lot of challenges along the way even if you're the number one team in the world so i do have to say that you know they did have to fight and scrap in the past, and they'll continue to have to fight and scrap for everything they earn going forward, especially with all of the the growth of the women's game. You see all of the other national teams really putting money and talent and having more camps and getting better coaches and getting, you know, science involved for fitness and, you know, adding to the staff, um, adding nutritionists. So much is being put into women's soccer around the world, and that is what we have to celebrate because, we don't want to see the U.S. dominating for the rest of our lives. We want to see fun games. We want to see different countries winning it. Well, maybe I don't because I'm American. But that's what makes the sport so beautiful. That's, that's why we all tune in is because anything can happen. Anything can happen in soccer and anything can happen in sport. And that's why we tune in. So, yes, they will continue to fight and scrape their way for the, as long as we see women's soccer. And I think that's what makes it fun. Um, now, when you say, is it just a blip? I think that's putting excuses on it. You know, this is not just a blip. This is a major mishap, a major mishap that um, moving forward can't happen because, like I said, this is the most talented team that I've ever seen. And if they're going to lose, OK, then let's take our hat off to our opponent and say, you know what? They beat us today, not we played horribly throughout the entire tournament. So at the end of the day, if the United States does not win in the next World Cup or the next Olympics, I want to say, you know what, Japan, you deserved it. Or or Brazil, man, you guys are unstoppable this tournament. I definitely don't want it to be a blip on the radar for the United States because we didn't show up to play. So to me, that's inexcusable. Yeah, I think there's quite a few sort of issues you could pinpoint when you watch the games. Um, there are so many things that you could possibly make a theory as to was the confidence knocked in the first game, do you know? We talked about the nerves of a, a first coach was, do you know, what could Andonovsky have done better? Um, I think the main thing is, like I said earlier, that they have to use this as a learning experience now. Um, and like I say, I'm interested to see how, how Andonovsky responds and what he does. Um, I have to ask, actually, Hope, you just reminded me then, 
Christine Sinclair winning a gold medal. We talked about different teams winning it. I mean, you said that you were, were excited about the prospect. You know, it's hard um, to see Canada, you know, above us. Um, and that's just because there are neighbors up north, you know. So that's just because we have a winning history against Canada. It's nothing personal. It's nothing that they didn't deserve it. Obviously, they deserved it because they found a way to win. But from a personal standpoint, Christine Sinclair being one of the all-time best players, you know, the leading international goal scorer, I am incredibly happy for her. And, and you know, I, I told you it could bring a tear to my eyes if I think about Christine Sinclair having a gold medal. And I'm sitting here talking about it, and I'm, I could get teary-eyed again. I mean, it, it is beautiful to share um, to share gold sometimes, I guess, to at least to the best players in the world. Yeah, Christine Sinclair winning a gold medal, something that no matter which country you're from, you can be happy about. I think that is a good place to end it. Once again, Amy and Hope, thank you very much for all of your insight. And listener, thank you, as always, for tuning in. We will be back after the Olympics with more of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. Thanks for listening. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.